0: Welcome
1: bou- to a new episode of French rugby, rugby Connection Podcast, the rugby podcast with the Gallic and European twists, with my co-host, Mike Pierce. How are you, who, Mike?
2: He who Welsh and celebrating a triple crown still. And yeah. yeah, what a weekend. Blimey.
1: Yes, but I'm looking forward when the lockdown is over because it must be a French thing. So I need to go to Specsavers and... Because my eyes, I can't <laughs> see properly on some games. First of all, you know, I have to congratulate you for a belated, Happy First March. What do you call it?
2: Yeah, Saint David's Day. Yeah, yeah. patron saint of Wales.
1: Yeah, that's the name of yeah, my husband. Some... But that's it. I didn't wish him. What is...
2: Saint Saint David? Yeah, your husband. <laughs> yeah. <Don't laughs> well, mention... He would have. He would have to be a saint to live with you, <laughs>
1: wouldn't he? <laughs> or oh, the devil? <laughs> you never know. You never know. thing Yeah. Congratulations for your triple ground. Thank you. Uh... Thank you very
2: much. Yes, Yes, uh, your, your congratulations are gratefully accepted. And yeah, I mean, it's just the controversy is still ongoing, isn't it? I mean, it's just incredible.
1: Yes, yeah. Lady Luck on your side as well. But the good thing is that if you look at the Welsh team, there is a PIVAC has reached a good balance of experience with youngsters was it ailun ailun rhys jones who celebrate how many caps does he Alan Wynn Jones I 100? don't know it's about hundred and
2: forty eight or something I've lost count to be honest. Yes. But yeah what a player. What and George
1: North, you know Chibis yeah one of the caps who would have and that? at
2: the age of twenty eight, I mean that's still very, very young.
1: It is indeed and you got some youngsters who did well like Shinem Kady and that little pocket rocket Kieran, I forgot his name. Hardy Yeah, he was good. He was very good. But let's talk about the R word, the roughing, the controversial and the erroneous.
2: It's a very big word, erroneous. Do you Uh, know (laughs) what that means? Because I'm not sure.
1: I'm not going to jump into you. (laughs) Uh, I was the one who mentioned that word. uh, First of of all, Wales lucky,
2: Okay, I mean, (laughs) Wales didn't give away any penalties or very few. They haven't conceded red cards. I think they've been very cool and shrewd and disciplined when it matters. So I think luck may be a little bit, bit harsh on them, but but certainly, as you say, the decisions in the early part of the game from Pascal Gozer have caused a lot of controversy and uh, yeah, I mean, you start.
1: <laughs> Let's speak about what the matter is all about for some of our listeners who are on a different planet who haven't heard about the controversy <laughs> wow. regarding Pascal Gauzer. So on Monday morning, when Midi Olympique was published, there was an article about Joel George mentioning the conversation he had with Pascal Gauzer. Uh, Joel George is the head of all refs worldwide. He said that referee Pascal Gauzer has admitted to making mistake in England, 40-24 Six Nations defeat by Wales on Saturday. Gozer has spoken to World Rugby Head of Match official, Joel Judge, the one I just mentioned, about two unfortunate events as Eddie Jones saw uh, title defence come to the end at the Principality Stadium. So let's talk about the controversies. The French official, Pascal Gozer, awarded Wales two controversial tries in the first half that enabled the host to power into a commanding 17-6 lead. So for George Adams' opener, Gozer told England captain Owen Farrell to speak to his team over the discipline, and then quickly restarted play, allowing that big R to hoist the scoring crossfield kick. And the second try happened half an hour later, when uh, Luis uh, Rizamid appeared to knock on during the, yeah. the, the build-up. So he, Pascal Gozer did recognise his mistake, looking at them afterwards. Oh,
2: he was brilliant. I thought he had a brilliant game. I couldn't see anything <laughs> wrong with what he did, honestly. Yeah, honestly.
1: And the feedback from <laughs> the judge was, is, I believe one has to be transparent and not let things drag on and say one things. So I think he was very relieved and I found it very humbling that Pascal Gozer, you know, came clean and just said, he put his hand up and said, I made two mistakes in that conversation. So he did mention about the two unfortunate events during the match and they were tough cases to handle. But regard to the second try, judge mentioned that there is a tendency and it's very, very true, correct me if I'm wrong, there is a tendency to refer to the TMO too often when one can make the call oneself on the pitch and stick with it. I mean everybody could see it was a, a knock-on. Yes. If Pascal <laughs> if Pascal had whistled for a knock on there, they would have meant no appeal by TMO to review it. Yeah but he didn't so... he didn't
2: see it and, and the thing is how can three officials get it wrong? I mean I agree. I think Zamit propelled the ball forwards initially and anything after that is irrelevant. But there's three officials. OK, you've got the referee there. You've got the assistant referee who's about a foot away on the touchline. And you've got Ruiz, another top referee in the van, watching it. And, and neither of them could spot a knock on. So, I mean, it's one of those like ridiculous. Well... I mean, with regards to the first incident, I I think Dan Bigger was very, very crafty there. He asked Pascal is. is Time back on, and Pascal just said, "Yeah, time back on." And but it's one of those things again. Teams use this sort of tactic now. When can I go and speak to my players? Slow the game down. If you look at the footage of it, the left-hand side of the pitch was actually covered, so the England team had edged over to to cover any any quick free kick. It was just the right-hand side, or England's right-hand side, that, that they hadn't covered. But I mean, if it happened to Wales. I'd probably have been equally upset. But I think the first inc- incident is not quite as clear as the second. I mean, I think the second was definitely a knock-on. But in, in fairness, to, to, in credit to England, they, they came back. I mean, what was it, seventeen fourteen at half-time? So yes,
1: absolutely. And, and to finish on... Uh that uh, referrals uh, mistake as well, referees mistake. Um, one thing I spotted as well, they still had some water carry on the pitch and he restarted the game. And another thing that obviously English supporters are not very happy is the fact that it's not the first time, but it, it is the second time that it has happened, you know, exactly with Dan Vigar as well. Yeah, and, and it was 2019. Wales England. I know, I know. So you I think, you so think it seems like...
2: with all the, with all the an- an- analysis they do these days, you think that might have cropped up and said, this referee, just keep an eye on him, and so... Yeah,
1: And you are making an excellent point. And I think that Les Bleus, for instance, because their penalty count is very high as well. I think they try to stick to 10, but it's usually hedging about 12, 13 as well. Jérôme Garcès, yeah. just to help out the players to understand, yeah. but to be very cautious how the ref works yeah. and the mistakes to avoid. And I think it's a case of maybe when Barnes so or others to visit the English camp and to... Yeah. Uh, Go back to them and maybe had uh, to analyze the behavior of the ref before the game and just say be be careful, guys, because yeah, we had that situation with him. Watch out, yeah. watch out, I'm, you know. Because uh,
2: England's discipline was shocking. I mean, three I agree. three penalties in the first five minutes, and they they've now conceded forty penalties in three games, which which you can't get away with at international level. I mean, England got back to twenty four all. And I was watching, as many people were watching it, and I mm-hmm. thought, England have got all the momentum here. And I honestly thought they were going to keep the momentum up and, and win. But, I mean, they, their discipline went to pieces in in the last 10 minutes. We scored 16 points in the last 10 minutes.
1: Yes, for our listeners who didn't watch that game, just in case, what happened in the last 20 minutes? How do you... Analyze that because you absolutely right. I was a bit frustrated because as 24. They were edging 24 orchids. Okay, so that should be fine. But they, they dropped the ball. They lost focus. Yeah. They made mistakes. They, they had the, the subs that are supposed to be the, the finishers. Yeah, it didn't work came, out, didn't it? Down the pitch yeah. they, they, they made bad things worse. They, they, they lost the plot. I'm sorry, guys. There's something I think they might have been over eager. And last week when I was speaking with the lovely Ben Cohen, from I was about to say strictly Comdancing. Yeah. Well yes, of course he was in strictly condensing. But the stand-up uh, foundation activist and former England former England player when he mentioned that when he was being trained by Clive Woodward, the uh, Clive Woodward's mantra was the T Cup acronym. What it stand for? No, no. T Cup. Think clearly under pressure. Yeah. And I think this is what England needs to recoup to think because they made some silly, silly mistake. I remember seeing Johnny Hill getting the penalty. There was no need for that, Johnny. We should have whoo, come down. Yeah, and then, so maybe and then they when to, Hardy, to do some yoga or yeah, some Hardy tapped like the penalty,
2: and Elliot Daly was facing the, the opposite way. I mean, yes. I don't know. What, you know, I have a theory here that that I'm not alone. That the Saracens players, how can you pl- just turn up for international rugby without having played? club games. They're not tuned up for it, are they? And Toji he's conceded 10 penalties now in three games, five. Correct. And, and what frustrates me about England is, as I said, they got back to 24, they had all the momentum, but nothing kills your momentum more than conceding penalties. And and really, that's all it was for England. England, If England had kept their discipline, I think they could have still, still won that game. They could have. But yes. looking from Wales' point of view, Wales played very well. I mean, Fallatow was just incredible. The back row, Fallatow, Navide, and Tipperick, they were outstanding. That They controlled the breakdown. As you mentioned, Hardy at scrum half, he had a brilliant service. He played with pace. Wales' lineout has at last improved. They won 16 out of 17 and they stole an English lineout. I'm absolutely astounded by this because at the end of last autumn, I was so depressed at the way wheels were playing and and if somebody had told me we'd have won a triple crown this year i I was honestly hoping to be italy and maybe sneak a win against one of the other major sides but you have to say wayne pivak is is proving inspirational and he seems to be making substitutions just at the right time he did it in scotland with bringing on uh sheedy and, and Hardy, and he did it on Saturday, replacing Bigger with Sheedy, who kicked those those points under pressure at the end. And he's such a great handler of the ball. He,
1: so, yeah. Pivak now from Hero... No, from sorry, zero from zero is now to be zero from heroes. So everybody loves him. And yeah, well,
2: uh, that's the way it is. in Yeah, Wales. I suppose that's <laughs> the way it
1: goes in sports. You you have to win games. It's like it's like in life. It's like in business well, you as know, well. Like,
2: what, you to... what people forget mm-hmm. is Warren Gatland was still getting stick in Wales up until the last season. People didn't like the way he, he, he Warren Ball, as they called it, which which he hated it being called. People were critical of him, and then the last season when he won the Grand Slam, he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, in Wales, you're either what is it one day you're a rooster, the next day you're a feather duster, and it's a bit like that, I'm afraid.
1: But it's a bit like Eddie Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie Jones got a very, very good record. Come on, last in 2019, finalists at the World Cup, they won the Grand Slam, I think, the Six Nations, I mean, three times in the last. Five years, something like that. Correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. But he's having a little bit of a bumpy route. But uh, it would be nice for him to bring the youngster sure. a bit earlier, like Max yeah, yeah. Malines. I would love to see the Pocket Rocket from Bristol play. I think so. Nowadays. I think they've got. To... But but he's injured, unfortunately. But a little bit of uh, young blood. And I know he loves the, the guy from Saracens. So this is he's very loyal. They're good guys. They are. They will do everything. But yeah, Except the lack win. of games had a detrimental effect I'm afraid, on, on what do you
2: think about france games? then uh the game against france do you think he'll make changes surely he has to now doesn't he who knows <laughs> he's got to, he's got,
1: <laughs> well, to maybe, dogs,
2: maybe... so he's got to win this one doesn't he <laughs> exactly that's what
1: he said i have to say i i have to raise my beret for the reaction he's great he's the great cool value, yeah. reactions of eddie jones and. Oh, yeah, far Farrell, yeah, when agree. they were asked to comment about the women, they're cool. I they were extremely I classy yeah, and they absolutely. didn't want to badmouth. So, whatever the question that I aimed at you, because journalists wanted to provoke a reaction. Every journalist has their own style yeah. at the end of the day. There's no bad, bad or wrong. No, it's, uh, it's yourself. It's your personality. That is being translated in the type of question that you asked. No, I, to I thought weather. England
2: were very dignified in defeat, both Owen Farrell and Teddy Jones. And what a lot of people didn't see, and I, I posted it on Twitter earlier today, is when Callum Sheedy kicked that last conversion, Owen Farrell actually went up to him and shook his hand just before the end of the game. And I thought, well, that's, that says a lot about him. Owen Farrell has got this sort of hate status in Wales But in my opinion, he's a wonderful player and a wonderful sportsman and he doesn't get on very well with referees and his style is perhaps not what people would wish. But he does have a really nice side to him and I think it's important that we highlight the good things as well as the bad things.
1: He's a very nice guy. He's very approachable, very down-to-earth. He lives and eats and breathes for rugby. This is passion. The, the only part he needs to to brush up a little bit is communication yeah. skills with the referee. And learned about the referee's preferred style communication during the game. I know that when he used to play, Nigel Owen used to ref the England team. They had a good relationship yeah. because they, they knew each yeah. other. Yeah. You always had the utmost the, the respect for, with each other. But it's a different style. You have to adapt. That's life. Let's talk about uh, the, the other games. The other game. Island. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, Italy. that was
2: one-sided wasn't it as as expected i was hoping for
1: <laughs> miracle i started yeah. watching it a, so turn and i saw oh okay been better but then defense not strong enough but they got garbisi was building was getting stronger unfortunately them yeah kind of that's right yeah. for the game
2: yeah they weren't really in it were they from the start so yeah t- tough one and of course next they've got Wales. so that that's not be very easy for them i don't think
1: no, but Franco Smith did say that's you know, yeah. progress. You see them improving the next five to six years. But I would love I would love if Sergio Paris could just <laughs> join them to sh- to show them the trade of the rope, the rope of the trade, the rope of uh, I Yeah, you know what well I, mean. I think
2: Pledri who who's <laughs> injured, the Gloucester player, he's he's a big influence for them and I think he's an able replacement for it's just a shame he's injured and, and missing the tournament because I think he could have made a big difference for them
1: I think it's a work in progress yep. for Italy I think they will always be part yeah. of Six Nations yeah. Italy maybe they might grow uh, the Six Nations to Seven Nations I'm not sure I don't know what do you think do you think it could be a possibility I don't
2: know I'm about when you talk about player welfare I think to bring in another four or five internationals is probably a bit bit of a stretch
1: that's just my opinion. Yes, you're but. probably right. Yes, yes. Unless we look at <clears> all the decreasing, <throat> the length of all the competition. But yeah, it's, uh, it's another the debate. Okay, so a Six Nations. Yeah, England, families, France,
2: so- Italy, Wales and Scotland, Ireland on the Sunday. So three cracking games if, if, if France are still in the tournament, of course, by then.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about the French. <laughs> what did they do? Covid bubble, bubble gate, bubble uh, waffle, whatever you can think of. So an investigation now is taking place. It was asked by the Minister of Sport, Maxina Marokinaou. I can't pronounce her name properly. She's a tough cookie. Yeah. <laughs> and the FFR will have to be very coherent and very detailed in the explanation of why and how the COVID
2: bubble. Given the onerous task of, of producing the report, which is interesting because you think a report coming from the source where the problems had started from, I would have expected a more independent review, but it's the way it is. I think he's got to report to the minister by tomorrow and she has said unless she gets a clear explanation there is the threat of the government pulling france out of the six nations tournament that's if they don't get a satisfactory explanation so th- th- there's a lot at stake here of course but but as we've had this conversation that, that money talks and the scotland game obviously was cancelled people are saying all right well it's France should uh, forfeit the game, but money again. If the broadcasters will have to get a refund of somewhere around about three million if the game isn't played, so the financial implications I would think will ensure that that somehow this all gets 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 put to one side. But you never know. We're talking about the French government here, aren't we? So.
1: Yeah. Let's wait and see. To be honest with you, I think from, from what I read, the Laporte was part of the, producing that report, but it's being done by oh, other okay. officials right now. So it's a, yes, it's a very serious matter. So we'll have some information. I hope they will not uh, remove the no, French from, <laughs> from the tournament. That would be a, a, a big shame. In terms of when they could play against Scotland, the date I found today was the 25th. Of twenty fifth of March, but obviously the Scottish League, yeah. you know, would need to agree on that date it,
2: as the well. The interesting thing but, is, though, that uh, that only gives France five days after playing Wales, so it doesn't give them a lot of time to recover. But but of course, if you're, you're no, but, Wales will probably won the Grand Slam by then, so this game won't won't really matter, will it?
1: <laughs> so you wish but you, before that you will have to do your next oh, dance no, you know, outside, uh, look, I don't, in full moon as well yeah that's no, I all think, your I fault
2: I'll do it on the radio <laughs> but I'm
1: <not. laughs> so yeah that would be interesting to see the the odds in terms of uh, for, uh, Wales winning the Grand Slam can you imagine if you would have bet on that at the beginning
2: I mean it's but, a shame uh, anyway, of uh, you know it would be all down on the last game of the last Saturday France against Wales in Paris. Winner takes everything, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case now.
1: Well, we'll see. We'll have to wait until the 25th or the 26th of March. It's not too far to wait. But as I said, regarding Fabien Gatti, I believe we'll be given a caution. Or, But uh, in terms of what happened, yeah, he will have to come clear to his uh, players, i should say. Uh, sorry, guys, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have gone and watched uh, my son play in uh, Stade Francais Espoir uh, the day after the yeah, Italian but,
2: game. But there's so. still this ambiguity about what they call patient zero, the person who brought it in. I mean, initially they said it was a sevens player and, and Galtier wasn't mentioned. And, and if you look, the men's sevens, the women's sevens and the under 20s have all been affected. So, all right, Galtier, shouldn't have left the, the camp, but it's not it's not guaranteed that he was the actual guy who brought the, the virus into the camp. So, yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. On the positive side is that by the, the 13th of March, Dupont should be back, Tamak as well. Yeah, possibly back at
2: Tower as well. They'll have, oh, yeah, all guns blazing. Correct,
1: correct. Do you think this has so... been a, a,
2: a sneaky ploy by the French to delay the game?
1: I loved it very much it was probably the one but anyway let's wait and see on verra plus sachant. and today rugby friends I spoke with Rohan Kit Rohan Kit is a TMO and was part of the World Rugby official in 2019 in Japan and we discussed how the TMO and his team prepare before a match. And uh, also um, his reaction regarding the refereeing in the Wales England game last Saturday at the Giznes Six-, Six Nation And um, how you become a TMO as well. I hope you will enjoy my chat with him. So, bonjour, bonjour Juan, comment allez-vous Hello, how are you I gather you can speak French, but tell me more about you. But in English, that's fine as well.
0: Yeah, no French, very little. No, I'm a television match official for the RFU and um, done a few games in the European Cup and a few test matches and I was lucky enough to go to the World Cup in Japan in 2019 as well. So, um, yeah, for the last seven or eight years, I, I suppose I've been a television match official before that. I was a referee, of course, like everybody. So um, here I am today.
1: Yeah, and I can see uh, uh, in Japan, you were one of the top uh, TMOs with Graham Hughes uh, from England, Ben Screen, uh, Ben Skeen from New Zealand and Marius Jonker.
0: That's right. We, I mean, we were a pretty close team uh, the TMOs all work together to try and, um, you know, get the best results for the, for the referees on the pitch and, um, yeah, it was a hell, of a hell of a tournament and great fun, really.
1: Are you all ready for France 2023?
0: <laughs> That's a long way off. A lot can happen till, uh, it's in, in between times with the pandemic and, um, you know, matches being cancelled and, you know, nobody really knows what's going to happen, so we'll... We'll just have
1: to wait and see, I think. Let's be positive. I'm sure pandemic will be over by that time. And it's just down the road anyway, so not so no jet lag. So Rohan, uh, Rowan, tell me how do the TMO ref and assistant refs prepare pre match with the team coaches?
0: Um with the team coaches, I mean the we we occasionally will meet with a team coach maybe the day before the game. Uh, just to go through some big points, um, some things that they want to to tell us about, perhaps um, issues to do with the scrum or um, line out or something like that. Um, But sometimes we don't meet the team coaches at all. Uh, It's up to them if they want to meet with us. Um, And I think we spend most of our time preparing with each other as a team of four. So the ARs, the referee, the TMO, we work very, very closely to um, prepare, you know, for every situation uh, that we can think of. You know, we look at past games and the form of the teams and the players. And we spend a lot of time working on what we're going to say to each other and who's going to lead on what decision and um, who's going to be looking at the big screen after a try and so on. Um, so that's the, the, the real focus of our work.
1: Brilliant. So uh, clear meetings between all of you regarding the uh, the process of decision-making between all of you, i.e. the TMO, the ref and the assistant refs. Am I correct?
0: Yes, because it, it's all about the, the communication between the team of four members and uh, how we work as a team to get the best results and do it quickly and efficiently so that we don't slow the game down uh, unnecessarily. Um, And we all speak uh, plainly and we don't speak in code like used to happen probably six, seven, eight years ago. Uh, We just say what we're seeing and we make it understandable for everybody. And um, people can follow the decisions then and that's the most
1: important thing. Absolutely. And so obviously I have a question because it's very topical. Do you have um, any thought or what is your, your reaction regarding the referring of the Wales-England Games last Saturday? Well
0: it's a tough one. I mean um, Pascal as you know has, has, has held his hands up like a good guy he is and, and all referees do that if there's been a, a, a mistake or an error or something didn't go right you know we're the first to uh, analyse ourselves and say right we should have done this and um, you know improve for next time we're just like the players I'm sure in that regard um, I think you know if they had their time again on Saturday it's so easy with hindsight, but they'd probably do it slightly differently. Um, I think the knock on uh, decision or, or non decision, um, you know, it was just a, a, a classic where probably the team of four, if they had the time again, would work a little differently. And it probably just needed someone, one of the four, to say, guys, this is an easy decision, this is a knock on, um, let's not complicate anything. Um, ideally, of course, it would have been seen live by one of the team of four, the referee or the AR. And then the TMO is working furiously in the background in his truck to uh, get a shot of the incident with his EBS operator. So in the six nations, you have an EBS operator next to you. And they can rewind live play and show you lots of different angles before you go on the live screen and ideally the TMO would be able to see that and say to the referee, right, I'm going to show you a knock-on here, and then everybody's kind of ready to look for it, and you have one look, you just show one angle, the best angle you've got, and everybody goes, okay, yeah, knock-on. And um, I think nobody probably would have disagreed, but, um I mean, I personally, I've got massive sympathy for the team of four because in those high-pressure moments, your brain (laughs) does funny things and and you can get caught between a technical decision and an understandable decision, Mm -hmm. as we call it, and Mm -hmm. the technical decision was looking at whether it really had been knocked on and hit another player or hit the ground and who did it hit first and did it go backwards, whereas the understandable decision is just to say Right, that's a knock on. Uh, no try. Um, so it's so easy to be a good TMO when you're sat on the sofa at home. Um, but when you're in the truck, um, you know, things don't always go according to plan.
1: <laughs> Understand. And um, do you think that uh, the fact that the French officials in the Wales and England game communicated English uh, have risk? Um, uh, any misinterpretation? Misinter- sorry, I can't say the word. Misinterpretation. <laughs> you know what I mean. Merci beaucoup. Thank you yeah. very much. Yes.
0: Yeah. No, uh, I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, those guys are very good uh, English speakers, Pascal and Alex Ruiz. Um, I'm sure they'd have practiced beforehand. I'm sure that they've done a few games together and, and essentially have a good understanding I think I mean who knows maybe on another occasion what what they would do is um, speak in French to each other just to make sure they've got the correct decision and then tell the rest of the rugby world that's watching and listening in English so that everybody has more of a chance, even more of a chance of understanding Um, but maybe they felt they didn't need to do that Um, I don't think it contributed to the wrong decision. I think they they spoke very well in English. Um, but it's, it's very difficult. I mean, if I had to do that in French, um, I wouldn't feel particularly comfortable. But their English is a lot better than my French.
1: And yeah, when Barnes can communicate a bit in French and uh, uh, lately, Luke Pierce, you know, kudos to Luke Pierce to uh, <laughs> to officiate in, in French now. That's yeah, it.
0: his French is
1: better than his English normally, I think. <laughs> and finally, uh, how do you become a TMO and what's the best and worst things about the job? Oh, um, becoming a TMO, I, I mean,
0: you just give up refereeing slowly you become too old or too slow like me and they say, Oh, can you come and be a TMO and make some decisions and sit in a nice warm truck. So certainly on a freezing day, uh, with the wind howling and rain coming down, it's nice to go in the truck and sit there and make decisions. Uh, I guess the best thing is, you know, that you're right at the heart of, of the game and that if you make the right calls and you Help the referee out, and that's all you're there for is to get the big calls, um, to help out the referee who's kind of the captain of the team and isn't making all, all the big decisions. Then you've contributed to that team and they've uh, contributed to a good game of rugby where there's no controversy. So, you know, we always say if, um, nobody's talking about us at the end of the game, then we've had a good game. It's as simple as that. Um, If they are talking about us far too much, then we might have done a few things differently. Um, So I think that that's the best thing. And and the teamwork with your comrades, uh, your teammates, to produce that performance. It's very, very technical, very, very uh, high level of skill, I would say, is required and communication between each other and a good understanding. So it's very satisfying when it goes well. Um, conversely, you know when it doesn't go well, and we've all been there, where we've made big errors, big mistakes. Um, the communication hasn't gone well, or we've missed something, or we couldn't get the right TV angle. Then it feels it's not a great feeling. Um, so you have to take the rough with the smooth, I think.
1: And I have to say, I was very impressed by uh, the humbling attitude of Pascal Gozer, um after he admitted, you know, his his mistakes, you know, during the, the games
0: because um, you know, he's a great guy and uh, all the referees are rugby people through and through. We all love the game and we still have it in our game where I'm sure that if we hold our hands up to a coach and say, Look, sorry I got that wrong, um this happened and, and that's why um then there's gonna be an element of respect there. and um, we do that often, Um, we do that to each other, we're we're as honest as we can be and um, we need to look after that in rugby so Pascal should be applauded for saying that and he'll work through it with Joel and others and I'm sure he'll be better It's, it's the tough games that you learn the most from
1: Exactly, um, and yeah, it's all about respect as well. So thank you ever so much, uh, Juan. I thoroughly so really enjoyed your explanation of uh, what it means to be a TMO and your opinion as well on the, um, on the last, last week games. So you have a great day. Merci beaucoup et à bientôt. Pas de problème, au revoir. Au
0: revoir. Top 14. Top 14, yes,
2: we forget, don't we? Really... Oh, all this stuff's going on as well. Blimey. I mean, after the weekend that we had. And uh, <laughs> poor old Agen, bottom of the table, still bottom of the table. They lost at home fifty-two sixteen to Claremont. Actually, half time it, it was pretty close. It was 17-16 to Claremont, but Claremont scored eight tries. And well, there you go. Another big defeat for Agen, bottom of the table. With two points and pushes Claremont up to fourth place in the table.
1: Actually, yeah, you're absolutely right with yeah. 55 points. And Toulon was playing at home in Stade Manuel versus Bayonne. As uh, you might remember, Bayonne had yeah. a, a shocking, shocking loss last week. They lost. Uh, by exactly, 73 yeah. points. And yeah, Yannick Bru, who is the head coach, had to apologise. But something did right because they won against uh, Toulon. Yes, but Toulon, uh, let's put it that way, it wasn't their strongest team. I think 10 of the players on international duties or, or, or uh, stuck in the infirmary yeah. are injured. And they had a few issues during the game as well. I think they fly half, have
2: to but be replaced. Yeah, but yeah. still,
1: well done. Well done to Bayern. I like that. I like the Tennessee. And you watch? or you saw the highlights? Yeah, the big one. Toulouse. First
2: against second. La Rochelle at home to Toulouse. And Toulouse won that one 14-11. A very close game. Half time 8-0 to La Rochelle. Yeah, trial yes. for Bottier, for La Rochelle, and penalties for Plesson and West. But that old veteran warhorse, Johan Houget, Scored the try for Toulouse. Three penalties from Holmes. And Toulouse sneaked it by three points. So their top of the table was 61. La Rochelle now in second place with 59 points. So, yeah.
1: And Hassi yeah. is behind yeah. them yeah. at so 58. So very close at the top there. So it's... Yes, yeah, so La Rochelle lost his place. is now number two. Toulouse from number three is, is topping up the top 14. And Racing 92, yeah, is, is now na- number three. But lots of things happening. Very close score between yeah, yeah. a few teams. Bordeaux and Toulouse. Yeah. there's only one point difference between those two. Number five and number six. And in the middle of the table, Stade Francais Paris, 40 points. Brive, number nine. It's a, such a good story for Brive. 39 points. Castres, 39. So it could go either way in the next game. And Montpellier and Paul and Bayonne, 30, yeah. 31, 32. So all teams have played 18 games except for Bayonne. And of course, this
2: weekend, there's a full program of top 14. Friday night, Montpellier, they're at home to Clermont. And then on Saturday, the remaining games. Toulouse, home to Brieves. Bayon, they entertain Lyon. Bordeaux, are at home to Poe. Castres they entertain La Rochelle. Stade Francais, they're at home to Agen. And Toulon are at home to Racing 92. So cracking games are in the top 14 this weekend.
1: Yes, indeed. About one game I'm very keen to watch is Toulon versus Racing 92. Toulon is currently number five. Racing 92 is three. So that could be a good one. The yeah. French. Uh, players will have a test on Wednesday and if it's negative okay. they can go and play with their team so it's, it would be the case for Mohamed Ouas; so he can play for Montpellier if he wants to or if they need him for Cholonge in Castres as, as well so it, it would yeah, be good, good practice they for them rugby for a
2: few weeks now will
1: they exactly last game they played against Ireland was on 14th of February the next yeah, game is yeah, on the 13th of point. March so uh, <laughs> yeah they need to, to work out uh, Any other business? I believe you have some news.
2: Yes, the 2023 World Cup being held in France. The match draw was made last week and it sort of brings it all uh, that little bit nearer. It's two years out, but now we know exactly where our countries are going to be playing and on what days. Uh, Tournament starts on Friday the 8th of September and what a match to open it up. France against the All Blacks in Stade de France, I mean, you couldn't ask for a bigger game than that, could you? It's absolutely incredible. France will be touring the country. They face the Americas qualifier in Lille. Then they'll play the Africa qualifier in Marseille before facing Italy in Lyon. So it's going to be a a fabulous tournament. Eight weeks, 48 matches, nine stadiums, 2.6 million tickets and Talking of tickets, announcements will be made towards the end of this week about when tickets will be be available and how you can get them. So a massive party in France, and hopefully with COVID behind us, it'll be a celebration of of life and rugby. Uh, Matches in Lille, in Paris, in Nantes, in Lyon, in Saint-Étienne, in Bordeaux, in Toulouse, in Nice and in Marseille. Tournament runs from the 8th of September to the 28th of October. And we just can't wait. For Wales, they start off with a tough one yes. against Fiji. who have always been a bit of their nemesis in Bordeaux. And they play matches in Nice, Australia in Lyon, and then Europe in Nantes. So Right.
1: And regarding England, they're going to play on the 9th of September. In Marseille, they will be playing against Argentina. Then they will be playing against, just looking, on the Sunday, 17th of September, in Nice. Can you imagine? Very, very nice. I'll be there, that's for sure. England versus Japan. That could be a very interesting one. And the following weekend, Saturday, 23rd of September, they would play in Lille, which is very good, very close to to go to when you live in England. They would play against Castle. So you're
2: a star, will be rubbing the hands of Gleena. They'll be getting some some bookings as soon as they can
1: <laughs> exactly oh, oh, so quick to go by Eurostars, so but just down the road you yeah. can go anywhere actually so that's why I would recommend you know, our friends to if you can take the Eurostar so yeah. quick so comfortable you don't have to wait so uh, so many hours at the at the airport and oh, the TGV system yes. is excellent Absolutely. as well it's like being you don't feel anything it's like being in your, in your own yeah. room, in your living room yeah. you know there is oh, no vibration incredible. or anything like that it's a success story. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to not too long now. Not too long. I'm not going to ask you how many days, but it's not actually what can I can you? tell you exactly. It's going to be two years, six months, wow. five days and six hours. We'll
2: so exciting. I'm excited already just looking at the venues. and
1: oh. Yes. We'll be there with our camper van. French listen.
2: Do I not get a half-term or anything, then, or any school holidays? No
1: way, no you know, way. I haven't man. had a holiday. <laughs> you will never have any day. Hey, one thing I have to say, during the Midi-Olympic Award, perfect French when he gave the prize to Grégory Adrit. Did he? Yes. Who knows? Maybe he got some lesson from Dan Lugar N- Nigel. Or from Johnny Wilkinson or maybe he's learning on dual. Wayne lingo. Barnes. <laughs> oh Barnes. Yes. Yeah. I know yes. Uh... Impressive.
2: Oh, good on it. Good on Lol.
1: Yeah, did really well. Sent him uh, a nice message. rather haven't had any reply. As In usual. French
2: or English? In English. Oh, okay. Come
1: on. I can't really push it. <laughs> 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 anyway, how do you say a knock-on? This is very topical, as you can imagine. <laughs>
2: <I> <laughs> time off would be more time. <laughs> uh, knock This on. is not a try. <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't I don't
1: know. This was not a try. Spec savers.
2: Non, <laughs> non no essay.
1: <laughs> you say un en avant.
2: Okay, en avant. But what's this for? Knock on? Yes. Un non, un what? Sorry. You say
1: un. Un, un is uh, the masculine.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, en avant.
2: Un non avant.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a forward. Oh,
2: not avant. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Uh, Excellent.
1: Yes, yeah, something to. They were Pascal.
2: That's one for you.
1: <laughs> one for
0: Pascal.
1: Yeah. That's mm-hmm. Joke. Do you have one for me? Come on. I'm afraid not. I've
2: been so busy. i mean so busy. Obviously.
1: Got... Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I'm not. I was about to say something, but I won't say anything. Yeah,
2: very, <laughs> wise. <laughs> very wise. Very <laughs> wise. Something to do with the reckoning.
1: Well, no, I'm not going to be cruel. But uh, I've got uh, one that's very, very uh, rude. So I do apologize to our listeners. If you are less than 18 years old, please do not listen to my joke. 18. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, not your age. <laughs> not 80, I was going
0: to say, I better. <laughs>
2: So
1: it's just a story because uh, France should have played uh, the Scottish team, and we didn't happen for various reasons that we know that we elaborated early on. Reminded me of a story, Mel Gibson, when he, he played Braveheart, I think oh, in yeah. the 90s. And uh, one day, a journalist asked him what he was wearing under his kilt. Yeah. And he said, Your wife's lipstick.
2: That's shocking. <laughs> now, shall we? You realise? Don't we have to put some sort of warning on the podcast now, like a little E or something?
1: <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed our friend Rugby Connections, full of information. What a super has the Six Nations become, do you agree? So make sure El Dorado with Alo Alo with Benny Hill.
2: Yeah, it's been unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly given us plenty of content. Next week should be a little bit quieter, but in rugby and particularly in French rugby, you never know.
1: Exactly, it's full of surprise, bumpy, bumpy rue Okay, well, you have a lovely, lovely weekend. Top fourteen still to review next week,
2: and of course, next week we'll be able to preview La Crunch, which, which will be fascinating. But until then, have a great weekend, everybody, and a bientôt.
1: A
0: bientôt. Au revoir. Notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum, et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille.